We're in a series called Together, uh, based on the Antioch Church, and it's really a, a values series about the kind of church we want to be, the kind of church we believe that by God's grace we already are, in part, but the kind of church we're reaching for in God. And today we're going to be considering the theme of mission and looking at Acts chapter 11. So last week we looked at the theme of community from Acts 15, and this week we're going to be considering mission, a church that is on mission with God from Acts chapter 11. So if you could grab your Bible and turn to Acts 11, that'd be great. The people of God don't start mission in the book of Acts. Acts is the most obviously missionary-ish book, I think. So when you read Acts, you go, yeah, that's like a missionary book. But the people of God have always been on mission, even when there were only two of us. The people of God have been sent by God. That's where the word mission comes from, the, the Latin word to send. We have been sent, we have been missioned into the world by God from the very beginning. Genesis 1 and 2, God says, now I've created you, now go. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion. It's a, a missionary call on human beings to fill the world with image bearers of God, people who look like God to his glory. And you find that running throughout the Old Testament, that people of God are always being called from where they are and sent out, saying, go, I'm sending you with a purpose to bless. So he does that for Abraham. He says, come on, leave your, he's Abraham at the time, leave your homeland, go to the land of Canaan. I'm going to make you and your family a blessing to every nation on earth. It's a missionary call. You get Joseph sent to Egypt to save lives. You get Israel sent out of Egypt with a mixed multitude of hangers-on and Gentiles and liberated slaves. You get Judah sent into Babylon to effectively to bless it and then sent back again to the land. You, the people of Israel are a people on mission. And so God, even in the middle of the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, God says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to bring back just the preserved of Israel. I'll make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And you can ask Jonah whether or not Israel always lived up to that calling because that's what he was sent to do as well, to Nineveh. But that's what the people of God are called to do. We are a missionary people and we have been for all of our history. So when Jesus comes into the world on mission and he gathers a group of followers, it's not at all surprising that he sends them out in pairs to preach the kingdom, heal the sick, raise the dead, bless the area, and that his final words in Matthew are a commission to go into the whole world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's not a surprise that the book of Acts that we're reading at the moment is structured around the success of that mission, Judea. Sorry, Jerusalem rather, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. It's like a kind of growing spread of the mission of God through his people. And in all that time, the mission of God hasn't really changed. Sounds like a strange comment. From Genesis through to the end of Revelation, the mission of God's people doesn't really change. We are still, like Adam and Eve, sent in to fill the world with image bearers of God. Like Abraham, we are still sent to bless every family on earth. Like Israel, we are still sent out of slavery with a mixed multitude of liberated slaves because free people, free people. We've got the same mission we always have had. A mission is not forever. There's a day when the mission of God's people is complete. Right? Mission isn't our ultimate purpose. It's a wonderful quote from John Piper, the American pastor, who says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church, worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. 
And I think that's very insightful that actually mission has an end point, but its goal ultimately is worship, the worship of all peoples. And there will be a day when that's achieved and every tongue confesses Jesus Christ as Lord. But until that day, the church has a mission. We are sent into the world to proclaim the gospel of God and the kingdom of Christ and the gift of the Spirit. And it all goes back to Antioch. And we're going to read Acts chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, don't call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers and sisters also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who's called Peter. He'll declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If God then gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. This is the word of God. Christian mission, which I think we can summarize in this passage anyway, as preaching the Lord Jesus. That's, you know, if the commission to Adam and Eve was fill the world with image bearers of God, that meant have lots of children and multiply. If you say it to us, you say, well, it might involve having children as well, and for many of us it does, but actually it, the way you fill the world with image bearers of God is by preaching the Lord Jesus and seeing people respond to that message and be conformed into his image and his likeness. And Christian mission, if you mean preaching the Lord Jesus, involves three distinct parties, if we can call them that, three, three groups or three entities, three parties really involved in Christian mission, and it's really important that we remember that all three of them are involved. Right? So verse 20 to 21, Luke tells us this. Some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number turned to the Lord. 
That is, some of them, people from Cyprus and Cyrene are Christians, they're believers, they're people who love Jesus already. Then you've got the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking people who don't, not even, it's not just they don't believe the gospel, they've never heard it. And then you've got the Lord, God, or Jesus. And in this context, you've basically got all, like a triangle, you've got all three of those parties involved in Christian mission. You have Christian believers, you have people who are not yet Christian believers, and you have God, and all three parties are at work in the process of Christian mission, or in, in salvation, in the response to the gospel. We preach, if you're a Christian, we preach. If you're not a Christian, we believe, right? And all of us were in that position at one point in our lives where we weren't believers and then we believed and we trusted in God. And God works. God opens our hearts to hear the word and so on. And if we forget or neglect any of those three parties, Christian mission doesn't really work. Right? So what I want to do is just explore how even in this passage and in Christian mission, evangelism more generally, that both Christians and people who aren't Christians and God all are involved in this process. Now it might sound odd, but it is actually quite easy, if you're not careful, to attempt Christian mission without remembering that it involves people who are not Christians or not disciples or not really thinking about people who aren't believers. And that would be true for a number of us here today who'd be listening to this saying, actually, I'm not, I'm not a Christian or I'm, I'm not sure if I am kind of this, I kind of agree with this, I'm not about that, or actually, I agree with none of it, but I'm interested anyway. And so many of us are like that, and that would be true for a bunch of us here. But it's quite easy for people like me, people who are Christians or maybe have been believers for a long time, to forget that the process of talking about the gospel to people must involve, and is only going to work if it involves and takes into account what people who aren't believers actually think. Now, I've experienced, I've been on the receiving end of this, right? So I remember this day on being on a giant escalator in, I want to say Victoria Station. It might not have been, but it was somewhere in the tube. And I was on this escalator. And you know when you kind of, escalators are kind of, you're stuck, right? You, you want, if you're there, there's all these people. And if someone sidles up next to you and starts talking to you, there's really no way to go. And that's what happened. And this guy turns up. Now, he, he was a Christian missionary in a way. But he asked me, he sort of said, do you, do you know the Lord Jesus? And I really confused him because I said yes and I think that kind of he didn't really know what to do with that but he had his patter and he kind of wanted to get on with it anyway so he just sort of kept going and he there was no real engagement with the fact instead of sort of going that's wonderful wow how did you come to faith or having a story like that it, he just kept, kept <laughs> rapping on about it. it's called you got to do this you got to do this. I was like well hang on a second I, I've just said I am a believer and we could you know we're brothers we could maybe just encourage one another with this little journey and then you, whatever it might be but sometimes that's, that's not how people think. They, they come to evangelism with like a prearranged download of stuff they want to say. And it's like being sold double glazing. And you might have been on the receiving end of it. You know, just like somebody might come to your door and say, have you got double glazing in this house? You think, I know where this is going. And you say, actually, we already do and we don't want any. But they, all, they always have an answer for that. They go, well, and interesting you say that because, and then off they go with something else. But you know what? Christians, some of us have witnessed this. Some of us have... Maybe some of us have done it, if we're honest, but some of us have seen this and heard it where you think this person is in theory sharing the gospel, but really what they're doing is they've just, they've forgotten that I'm even there. So far as they're concerned, the, these two points of the triangle are still there. God is involved and they're involved, but I'm not really. I'm just a, a, a passive vehicle for them to express this thing they want to say. That's not how it happens in Antioch careful distinctions in this passage are made, even in a very short passage actually, between the different types of people involved. Jews and Greeks, 
Cypriots, North Africans, West Asians, Europeans. If you read the rest of the book of Acts, you'll see Paul is regularly distinguishing and adapting his message according to whether he's talking to Jews or Gentiles, Gentiles who already know some about the gospel, Gentiles who don't believe any of it. The way he preaches in Athens is different from the way he preaches in Antioch or Jerusalem or Rome or wherever else. And in our city, we need to do the same thing because our city is incredibly diverse when it comes to the things people who live in London actually believe. Right? People believe and practice a huge range of things, even within a few hundred yards of where we are right now. And that will usually involve us asking good questions to understand what does this person currently believe? What doubts do they have? What questions do they have? What are they interested in? What do they definitely not believe? What problems might they have with Christian belief? And is it something I need to learn from them even about their story? And all those sorts of questions are really important. I remember hearing one guy uh, explain to me that he, he often used two questions that he found were very helpful in just opening up conversa spiritual conversations. And he'd say, so one, one question, it wouldn't work for everybody, but it worked for him. He said, what are, you, what are you living for, if you don't mind me asking? How would you describe what you're living for? And then he would say, and how's that working? It was just a very, and he would say, quite often those two questions could open up a lot. I've got a friend of mine who's, who really uses the questions taught me. It's a very good one. He said, what do you think the most important thing in life is? It's fascinating what people say. It's, just, it's a question that quite quickly will open up things that really, really matter to people. If, you, if you've got enough relationship to ask the question and not be thought to be weird. Questions I've found helpful in the past include, what's wrong with the world? How would you describe what's wrong with the world? And what's the solution? A question, another good question like, have you ever had a spiritual experience? Right? Now that... Some people say, no, what are you talking about? But it's amazing how many people will say, well, I kind of, yes, actually. And this is what it was like. And it, it's not like on its own, that question sort of goes, oh, now I, need, I know everything there is to know about this person. And obviously, if you're not a believer listening to this, you might think, oh, I don't really like the idea of this. But actually, it's, it's a good way of people getting to know what about other people, what makes them tick. How do you understand what's going on? And if you don't get that, if you don't see that Christian mission involves what someone who's not a believer thinks and what they already know that you don't know, then you end up coming across very arrogant and you also can misunderstand the person altogether. And personally, I think that's probably why Alpha, as a, as a tool, the Alpha course has been so fruitful for people. It's been so helpful for people who are not believers and why so many people, even who say at the end of the Alpha course, I still don't believe the gospel, but... I found the experience helpful because it took my questions and doubts and personality and background seriously in letting me explore what I, what I believe. And so if, you, if you're not a believer and you're interested even in exploring Christianity, the Alpha Course is a great setting for that. We've seen many, many people in this church find it such a helpful way of exploring deep questions about life. And we want to invite you. We want to suggest, again, you might say, come along at Easter. And just come and see the way Easter, the way that the church celebrates Easter, and listen to the, the central message of Jesus risen from the dead. But there's a whole different bunch of different ways we can do that. But it's very important that those of us who are looking to share the Christian message with the world, which is what Jesus has commissioned us to do, that we are not apologetic about that, but we are wise in the way we understand the people to whom we're speaking, and not come across like, or even let alone be double glazing salesmen with just a slightly different message. So Christian mission involves people who are not yet believers. And it also involves disciples. It involves Christians doing something. Ordinary Christians talking about the Lord Jesus and what he's done in the world and in their life. Now that sounds very obvious as well, but it is also, depending on who you are, it's kind of easy to forget that Christian mission involves me. It involves ordinary Christian believers. 
friend of mine, I, I just enjoy the, enjoy the story. I think he used it as an illustration. But he, when he had young kids, they have the ba- you know the baby monitor that picks up the sound from the child and plays it into your room to wake you up if the baby's crying. Um, and so this sort of young kid just crying out, coming through the baby monitor. And he's lying there and he's, his wife has already got up twice that night, so he knows it's his turn. And he just lies, he's a pastor friend of mine, he lies and he says, Lord, make the baby go to sleep. And he goes, and eventually his wife just elbows him and says, I think the Lord wants you to make the baby go to sleep. It's like, sometimes we can act as if God's going to do this thing as if bypassing us, as if it's not actually got anything to do with us. But that's not what happens in Antioch either. Verse 19, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, so Cyprus is island in the Mediterranean, Cyrene, North Africa, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Greeks as well, preaching the Lord Jesus. Now, two things fascinate me about that sequence and that snapshot of Christian mission. The first is the order of what happens. You have persecution, which produces scattering and traveling, which then produces speaking, which eventually results in preaching Jesus. But it begins with persecution and ends with Christ. So these people have been driven into exile for preaching Christ, and the story ends with them preaching Christ. It's like they they don't stop doing it just because they've been scattered for doing it. That's, That's one thing that fascinates me. The other thing that fascinates me is the anonymity of these people. We don't know who they are. These people, in many ways, are the reason why you and I are here. If you're a Gentile, this is the first time that anybody had deliberately preached the gospel to people who weren't Jews. There are a handful of people in the story so far who, of course, have come to faith in Jesus who are not Jewish people. But this was never an intentional mission at all. This is the first time anyone in history had said, I think we should go and preach the gospel to Gentiles. Now, let's go. So in many ways, the reason why the first domino to fall that led to you being a believer, if you are, and led to me being a believer, falls here in Antioch, and it's come through these people. We don't even know their names. That is so revealing. Evangelism is not just the task of Christian superstars or pastors or official missionaries, people with lots of, I don't know, whether it's training or practice or even gift or professional communicators. Much of Christian mission is done by ordinary disciples as they go about their ordinary daily business. Right now, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. Right, I get to preach the gospel to a lot of people every year. Right, between Sunday sermons and conferences I do, and books I've written and downloads and things, I get to preach the gospel to tens or even hundreds of thousands of people in a year, and that's a massive privilege. But most of those people actually already either believe or are quite close to belief because of the fact that they're listening to me in the first place. Whereas my mother-in-law, who you haven't heard of, and she is is not visible, and many people in my town haven't heard of her, but she's more like the people in Antioch. Because she is, you've never heard of her, but she is constantly talking to people, praying with people and for people, sharing her testimony with people, telling about stories about things that God's done in ways that match that person's story or background. And we're often with people who are miles away from Christian belief. People who not only don't believe it, but people who might hate people who believe it. And she's just really, really great at doing unassuming, ordinary, everyday evangelism. Just talking about the Christian faith in ordinary, everyday settings. And it's very important that we don't think of Christian mission as primarily happening through, or exclusively, certainly happening through people like me. I do it as well. But it's actually most of it in history, and certainly most of it in this story, comes through the anonymous person who you don't know, my mother-in-law. 
Last week, I got a text from my dad. I thought I wanted to read it. I thought it was really great. Um, so he's he's off playing golf. Like, he's retired now. He's playing golf. I think he was, I'm actually not sure. I think he was in Portugal, but it could have been somewhere else. But he was playing golf somewhere sunny, right? And he just sends me this text. He says, oh, I've had two n- people who are not Christian, two non, he wrote, non-Christian guys expressed desire to read If God Then What, which is a book I wrote on this. I only brought one copy, Oh Ye of Little Faith. I see one regularly in Sussex, so he'll have to wait. This is seriously exciting mission field. Praise him. Little emoji of praying hands. And then that was the, so my dad is just like out there playing golf. And he is, but he's talking about Jesus in a very ordinary setting for him on a golf course in Portugal or wherever. And he's going, this is in the mission field. And I thought, oh, and of course that's where I've got it from is I've I've seen the way that he and my mum live and my mother-in-law and many of you and think that's actually how most Christian mission takes place. Now, all of us will find that some ways of preaching the Lord Jesus work better for us than others. So for me, it's like formal sermons like this are actually a good one. Books are a good way of doing it. But for many of us, we'll say, no, I find it's helpful to share stories about what God's done in my life. I find it helpful to ask questions. I find it's much more helpful when we eat, when we're eating together. I find giving books to people has been fruitful. I find social media is a fruitful tool. I find inviting people to things that are being run somewhere else, like Alpha or Easter or Christmas or whatever might be good. And, so, and there'll be many others. And it's good to share. And we're talking about it in groups this week, even good to explore what works, what's worked for you, why? What doesn't work for you, why? All those sorts of questions. But please do remember, evangelism is a team game. Christian mission is a corporate thing we do. And the picture that Jesus uses of preaching the gospel in the New Testament is often that of fishing. And fishing in the ancient world is not a guy sitting there with a rod fishing one at a time. It's of a whole bunch of people in the community pulling a net in together. There are, there are things, there are people that all of us can reach that I can't reach or that people I might reach that you wouldn't reach. That's how we work as the people of God. It's no one of our job to sort of go, I found somebody, I'm going to give them the whole thing. That's often not what happens. It's a team game. It's something we do together. And it's part of the mission that God has called us to as his people. So Christian mission involves unbelievers and people who don't know Jesus. It involves Christians, people who do. But the most important person that it involves, and the one who in many ways we are most likely to forget about, is God. Verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Acts is full of statements like that. Acts 16, Lydia, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was being said by Paul. Or Acts 18 in Corinth, I have got many in this city, God says, who are my people. And most famously, Paul himself gets converted that way. But God interrupts and speaks to him and says, Paul, what are you doing? Persecuting me, Saul. And he ends up becoming a disciple. And that's why I read the whole, the long first bit of the chapter that isn't about Antioch, the bit about Peter and Cornelius and Peter explaining how they came to faith. Because it gives us a picture, I think, of what the hand of the Lord was with them might look like in practice. You see, so otherwise we, we read a phrase like that and we say, and then the hand of the Lord was with them and many were added. You think, well, what did they do? How did that look? What does it, what does it mean the hand of the Lord was with them? And what happened for Peter is God gave Peter a vision. God sent an angel to Cornelius. The Spirit told Peter to go to Cornelius. And while Peter was talking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them so they could rejoice. God's granted the Gentiles repentance leading to life. So God does something with Peter, God does something with them, God sends him to them, then the Spirit comes, and then God grants repentance. And you think, wow, God is doing all of it, right? Now, that's not the case, of course. The the person responding to the gospel is doing something, and we as believers are doing something, but God is doing something too, and it's very important that we don't forget that. 
because God is always more involved in drawing people to his son than we realize. Jesus said so. My father is always working, and so I too am working. Even when I don't see it all working, even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, never stop working. We, we sing that, and actually God is always at work, not only in the lives of believers, but in the lives of people across this city and across the world. And I just found so many examples I found of this. One I often think of is I did door-to-door. I've, I've told you a couple of my door-to-door stories before, I think. But I've done door-to-door. I've rocked up. I've knocked on the door. I've said, actually, we're just uh, giving out information to a course called the Alpha Course. We wondered if you'd like to come. And the woman says, I, actually, I, I'm not sure that I would. But you know what? I think my son might. And she calls up the stairs to this guy who lives upstairs. He's not a believer at all. Comes downstairs gets the flyer, comes along to Alpha, gets saved, and this last time I went to that church, many years later, was still in the church. And I thought, I didn't do anything. I literally knocked on a door and asked a question, but God was at work. And that's happening all the time. It's happening all around you. It's happening all around me. All over this city right now, God is at work already in the hearts of men and women and children, drawing them towards Christ. There are people who in this city this morning woke up with an inexplicable desire to go to church, to read scripture. Out of nowhere, they just picked up a Bible and started reading. There are people who just had this question that they wanted to find an answer to. When Jesus talked about evangelism, he talked about it as fishing and he talked about it as harvesting. It's never about selling double glazing. It's about a harvest. It's about scattering seed and then acknowledging that the life and the growth come from God and not from you. And when it comes, all you have to do is go out and say, I am now able to partner with God in harvesting what he has grown. If you're a Christian today, you know that's what happened to you, right? You know it. You know that you didn't, you're no, no cleverer than anybody else probably, or, or, or even that anybody else's clever argument or anybody else's kind gesture on its own was enough to turn you away from your old life and towards Christ. You know that God ultimately granted you repentance leading to life. We affirm that all the time. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Well, that is the basis for your confidence and mine in Christian mission. The Father is at work. The Spirit falls on people while we're still talking. And the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are at work drawing people to yourself all the time. We pray that you would equip us and help us to be partners with you, Lord, fellow harvesters, farmers, fishermen, whatever it might be, partnering with God in seeing your mission and your gospel go to the ends of the earth. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.